Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. It's whining about herstory at the tea table. Everybody agrees. We're going to tell you about the gals you should have heard of before. It's so exhausting, always raging against the patriarchy. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women that you have not heard of but deaf should have. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly, and I, I loved <laughs> everything about that. I'm like... Let's get swifty. And I mean, I'm over here dancing. No, it's so funny. It's so funny because like my my fella and I have been like joking back and forth. Like we'll just be like, hi, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Like that resonates with me so much. I'm like, I am the problem. (laughs) But then Kelly texted me and she's like, okay, my guilty pleasure has been this one swifty song. Bejeweled. And I was like- Bejeweled, I think. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, I have my own guilty pleasure right. Swifty song right now. But so we unlike like Emily, I actually songs. went and listened to her song. I haven't had a chance yet. And it's then good. also it was playing in my car when we went wine yeah, it was, shopping. It was we were jamming. So great. <laughs> it was amazing. So yeah, thank you. Here we are. Anyone uh who isn't gonna be on brand with our you know level of chaos has already turned this off. And so now it's just the last of the real ones. We love you. All right. So we are continuing on with our Badass Black History Month tribute. And we're continuing on with the other's wine because we're like, we should probably finish a wine. We should finish a wine. Um, Also, it was so difficult to understand that wine description that we're like, we can't even read another. We're just still confused. I don't. I'm still trying to understand it. Like, I'm going to read this wine description throughout my life. And every time I'm just going to understand a little more about it. sticks out still is flavors of schist. I'm like, why? Why would you say you're, I guess, I mean, it's on par with other wines that are like flavors of leather. And I'm like, why would you want to drink leather? I think. Honestly, it's that they used a fancy word yeah. for rocks Shit. because at least the others it's were very like specific. Rock. It's just leather. Like, I don't know why we're having such a hard time understanding. It tastes like rocks when we're like, oh, no, it tastes like an old shoe. <laughs> I mean, we still make fun of even the ones that are like yeah. tastes of leather. And we're like, why? Why would you say that? Oh I just I God. just liked it because it started out really well. Like it was like blackberries or whatever and rhubarb. I still didn't and understand. Shit. Yeah, cherry <laughs> like, cola. What? Like was it like like Coke? Also, if you hear any uh, snoozing in the background, it is because we are still joined by the pugs who actually were better behaved in the studio despite having their little outburst. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but you know this might be a thing now. I took a picture of them snoozing. Oh, good. So we'll post it on. In- in Instagram. Yeah. Um, and so you can see our podcasting as, pugs. As brachycephalic dogs, um, they're very open and performative about the act of breathing. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> One of them just like snore. Yeah, you said that and Dory just goes... <laughs> Oh my God. It was, it was so funny before we started recording. Kelly was like, I miss Atari, her dog that passed away. And then Dory just goes the loudest snore. (sighs) Dory's like, oh my God. Do not miss her. I am here. Yeah. She's like, excuse me. Am I not enough for you? Do I need to snore louder? Have you forgotten about me? I will say Dory's funny because 
she has a tongue that is like too big for her mouth. Yes. Like you see it with other dogs that when they like lose teeth, their tongue sticks out. No, Dory's does it most of the time, but she has enough teeth that when she needs to keep the tongue wet, she can. Yes. But it's funny because we'll, me and my husband will like look over at Dory and her tongue will be sticking out and then we'll just look at each other and do like the little like sticking our tongues out at each other and we'll just be like, you can't see what I'm doing, but Emily can. Yeah. Like we'll just like sit there for a second and be like, tongue out. Oh, yeah. No, Kelly just took her pants off. Uh, she bent over and she mooned me and then she farted in my face. Yep. So that's what her and her I husband mean, do to each other on a regular basis <laughs> when the their dogs the also do that. <laughs> Brosophallic dogs are known for their nasty so, farts. It's so funny because like sometimes I'll come home and Navi in particular, Dory doesn't do it as much because she's getting old so her hips are like not as great. But Navi will like put her front paws up on me and like stretch, but she'll do it and then I'll hear. <laughs> and I'm like, did you just stretch on me and fart? Welcome to the snore slash fart ASMR podcast <laughs> exactly. where we just make snoring and fart sounds into the mics. <laughs> Yes, I could start with my story. Yeah, I was going to say, Kelly is going Ooh. first. All and right. who are you whining about, my darling? Marie Maynard Daly. Okay, I like that name. It's like, mmm, duh. Mmm, duh. Mmm, duh. Same page. Yes. The, oh. This is what happens when you're friends with someone for over a decade and you're both <laughs> mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> and in love and in love um, i mean love really is just the ultimate mental right. illness i mean if we have like uteruses that glow at the same time why can't we have the weird same sense of humor and hands and knowledge you know what i would love okay I, i'm Me? putting this out there well i do love you it's not w- what i would That's love true. this is conceptual love and I'm putting this out in the universe. If someone did an illustration of Kelly and I just with our uteruses glowing gold, like looking at each other, like, we get it. Like, I would I would die. die. I would die right then and there. And of I would never stop smiling. Of happiness. My skull would, like, I would degrade and my skull would still have a grin on it somehow. Exactly. Yeah. No, 100%. Okay. So, Kelly. Marie Maynard Daly. <laughs> Let's talk about Marie. Let's get into this. Um, so Marie was born in Queens, New York. We're, we're still in the 1920s. Okay. Or we're going back to the 1920s. Yeah. We're revisiting um, Harlem. As you, as you can guess. Are we in Harlem? Uh, no, we're in, I don't Queen? remember what Did you say Queens? It's Queens. Okay. But like it was, it's sort of the sea. I can't remember. Um, her parents were African-American. Shocker. Um, her father, Ivan, was an immigrant from the British West Indies, and her mother, Helen, was from Washington. I do love that name, Helen. That's a name that we need to bring back, because it's a very pretty name, but it also has the word hell in it, which I love. Right. And other people need to do it, because me and Emily aren't having children. Yeah, so. no. I And there's only so many cats that I can adopt. I have three animals by myself, and I know my limits. I have two. You and have, I'm trying to convince my husband to have a third. You have an empty inventory slot for one exactly. animal. <laughs> my husband said when I get a job, we can talk about it. <laughs> uh, it's coming. Anyways, so... Her father, Ivan, had hoped to be a chemist and actually attended Cornell University for a while, but the cost of the university became a problem, so he ended up dropping out and become a, becoming a postal clerk to support his family. That sucks. It that does. finances are a barrier to education then and now. Right. So Helen um, did not work outside the home. Pretty typical for a 19, what did I say, 1921 yeah. 
the housewife. So she was a housewife. She spent a lot of time with her children. She would read books to them every night. Um, and this caused Marie in particular to love books. She recalls that while reading about science and the achievements of scientists, she developed the desire to become a scientist herself. Side note or a continued note. Uh, that is what her dad was going to study was, was chemistry at Cornell. Oh, And so he was, he was a nerd. He was nerdy. That's what I like to say. My heart is bleeding right now. Also, can, can I just say, like, reading books to kids is one of those, like, really pure pleasures in life. Like, when I would read books to kids at the daycare or when I was watching my friend's daughter, I, I didn't have any kid books in the house because I'm a single adult woman right. who doesn't even read the paper books she has. I, I think the only books that I, I have are the ones my mom gave me that are like, these are from your childhood. And I'm like, mom, I'm not having kids. Why do I need these. But she would want a story before going to bed. I was like, oh crap, I just gotta start making you, shit up. I should give you some because then you'll have some for when she comes over. Well, first of all, she has her own books. This was like like her staying with me for four days was kind of a oh my god, your mom's having your her mom's baby. Having a baby. Oh my god. Five weeks that. early. Oh yeah, no. Pack I, your shit. I remember and go. the text because you were like, Can you help me? And I'm like, no, I'm I, yeah. sorry. It, it turned out not to be. I, I needed help clearing out my guest room because it was still full of crap because I didn't have time to get it ready because it was five weeks before she was supposed to, you know, before I was even supposed to expect yeah, her to I stay remember with me. It, yeah. And I, I just so I still feel bad. It that wasn't I wasn't on you. Help you it clean. wasn't a big deal. And really, it was just I was kind of freaking out because I was overwhelmed by the suddenness of it all because I got a call like that morning where it's like, yeah, I'm gushing water. And I'm, I'm gushing like, water. What? I'm going to drop my child off soon. No. Oh, I had to go pick her up at the hospital, which allowed me to get coffee on the way. So that Yay, was it. Coffee. But anyway, sorry, my original point, I was, I made up stories to tell her and she loved it. And like, she was getting all like just her reactions from it. I was like, this is so pure and precious. And we should all be reading stories to our children all the fucking time. Yeah. So that, that whole thing of like her reading, her mom reading stories to her as a right. kid, like that's, that's it huge. at my heartstrings. That's huge. And that's so good for them. Right. So like I said, she grew up particularly liking books about science and achievements of scientists. And she really developed this desire to become a scientist herself. The interesting thing is she never knew, like her dad never told her about like that he wanted to be a chemist and like dropped out of high. She never knew. She's the chosen exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> but she worked really hard and did really well at Hunter College uh, or not Hunter College. Hunter High School, which was a laboratory high school for girls run by Hunter College. Okay. So um, it was like their all girl equivalency. Yep. yep. It, well, and it was the high school equivalency. Okay. Because it was run by like people from Hunter College, but it was a high school and it was for all girls. But they really, really encouraged her to be like, yeah, pursue science, which like even today in 2023, there are still people that are like, mm, maybe women shouldn't be in science. There there are educators who actively discourage girls oh. from pursuing math and science. It makes me so mad. And it's like, mm, maybe you should like retire. Right. And go fuck exactly. Off, like, go fuck yourself. Like, mm, Take you that stick not. out of your ass. And calm the fuck down. And then give it to a girl and tell her to use math to calculate how How long far it was up your rectum. Yeah, based <laughs> on the length of the stick. No, don't, please. Sorry. Anyways, that got, that got, that got weird. No. Um, 
encourage girls to do math and science in non-creepy ways. My point was, yeah, she was encouraged and supported, which was huge. So she recounted that attending high school with, and this was like, so Hunter College is a primary, is I think actually a female only, at least at this time, school and the high school was the same. So she said that like being around female students and female um, teachers at a time, as we know, 1920s, expectations were very low of women. Mm-hmm. But because they encouraged her to take being a scientist seriously, she was like, yeah, I'm going to do this because she was supported. Keyword here, chill people, support your children in whatever they want to do. Unless it's like be a like murderer or something. Don't do that. But the rest <laughs> I'm so drunk. I was gonna say this is a 15.5 ABV wine. And we've drank the entire bottle together. We have yep. combined left. We have maybe a glass. Yep. No, that this wine is kicking our asses. Also, I was uh I was on our Patreon the other day because I was just going through kind of the content we had. Um, yeah, funerary. I'm still sorry. Um, anyway, I stumbled upon an old historical AF episode that we did where we posted the video content of that. And I was talking about how, like, I got really drunk at Thanksgiving and threw up four times. I'm like, I remember the Thanksgiving. I don't remember throwing up four times. So that must have been really good. Um, but we, you and Keena were talking about like how quickly you can get drunk. And I was, and I, I vividly described, I was like, there is a moment in recording where I'm like, Kelly just got drunk. (laughs) And at the beginning of this recording, I was like, Kelly just got drunk. No, I mean, you were drunk before, but I was like, I had my own moment where I like slurred something or like mispronounced a word. And I was like, I'm drunk. There it is. This is this. And the worst part is, I use a lot of technical jargon later on in the script. This is not the episode for me to be drunk, but you guys have to deal with it because I'm already drunk. We're so. all just going to sit back and enjoy this very special treat because we don't always get like drunk Kelly. We don't always get drunk Kelly. I try not, like, I try not to, but I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. You know what? We've earned it. Uh, okay. So she had... Her career as a scientist. She was like, let's do it. And, and then she did the thing. So without realizing it, she decided to follow in her su- her father's footsteps and study chemistry. When she did make that decision, like she had a conversation with her father and like she found out and she was like, yes, dad, I'm going to realize your dream, which is great because she wanted to do it for herself first. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, you know what? I have this extra added incentive. Stop texting. I'm not texting. I was looking at something. Don't fucking judge me right now. I was checking the time. No, I'm fine. No, okay. See, so I I can see I'm this as a movie. Joking. You. I can I know, see right? this as a movie where she's like, you know, you she's pursuing science, and she goes to her father, and she's like, I want to pursue chemistry, mm-hmm. and then he like tells his tragic backstory He's of like, like my wanting daughter, wanting to pursue, to pursue chemistry. chemistry, and like she's taking on the torch, and then she has that extra weight of like how important this is. Right. So she went to Queens College, which is a um, very famous college in New York, actually. So she continued to excel and be supported when she went to Queens College, and she would graduate in 1942 um, with a degree in chemistry and a Queens College scholarship, or, or as a Queens College scholar, 
Emily's like, here, drink more wine. Well, because I have to eventually leave this house. Um, <laughs> so she graduated as a Queens College scholar, which meant she was in the top 2.5% of the graduating class. Holy shit. So she's shit. like cream of the crop, graduating At with this chemistry. prestigious university. Right. Jesus. So she would join the graduate school of the New York University and would work as a laboratory. I can't even say the word laboratory. Wait, say... Say our favorite word. Astronomical. A- ast- astronomical. Astronomical. Yep. That's <laughs> our favorite drunk our word. favorite drunk <laughs> word. So she would work as a laboratory assistant in the chemistry department at New York University. She would get her master's degree in chemistry in 1943 and would remain at Queens College as a tutor for one year. Um, which brings us to the close of World War Two. Yep. Yep. Um, after World War II, she would join Columbia University, where she would go on to receive her PhD in 1947. To obtain a PhD from Columbia, you a PhD. She was the first black person to obtain a PhD from Columbia University, and the first African American female in America to receive a chemistry PhD. Holy shit! And and this is after World War yep. Two. And as an extra added like bonus, she completed her PhD in three years. Nerd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was a nerd. She was a chemistry nerd. I love it. I'm here for it. I need chemistry nerds so I don't have to know chemistry, right? Because <laughs> it's not going to go well. So Things we- will go on fire. So here's the thing. Moving to modern day, very briefly. So in modern day, if you crack open any high school science textbook, you're going to learn about basic human concepts of like enzymes about starch and histones and the proteins that make up DNA. I had, I knew everything except right. histones. Thank you. I'm like, what um, is that? I mean, you also learn about like cholesterols, um, like how they narrow arteries and cause mm-hmm. heart attacks and all of this stuff. What you're not going to know is about Marie, which is very sad because she, co- she contributed to the fundamental research of all of these ideas, but her name is almost never in the textbooks. Instead, we have a bunch of stock photography of people in neutral clothes playing basketball. No, or or you <laughs> or get running like, on a you track. get like the the multinationals, so like different every like people of every the race, rainbow coalition in in lab coats with like the big goggles over test tubes, and they're That's all holding beakers. Yep. They're like, yeah, so. The reason I I'm kind of mad that she's not in textbook is because Marie worked as a physical scientist, both as an researcher as an instructor at Howard University from 1947 to 1948, and she was conducting research for the American Cancer Society, who had awarded her a postdoctoral like grant mm-hmm. to do her research with the Rockefeller Institute 
which is like a big prestigious name in science. A lot of big names yep. that I'm recognizing. Um, basically, so this was the start of what ended up being a seven-year research project. So they funded her for seven years, which is huge. Holy shit. And she basically examined how proteins are constructed in the body. This is at a time when the structure structure and function of DNA, which eventually someone um, won a Nobel Prize for, which I don't remember the guy's name because it was some dude. Uh, I mentioned him later in the story, but... Um, the function and like the double helix of DNA was not yet understood. They did not understand how DNA was made. They they knew it was a double helix though because Rosalind Franklin exactly. took the first picture. But who they you didn't covered. understand how like what made it like the proteins that made DNA what it is. Yes. So that's what Marie did. She worked out which nucleic acid bases were the main building blocks of DNA. So. I actually remember this. It's adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine. A-G-T-C. Yep. That's why they had that movie Gattaca. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, and what she found out is not only are these what make up human DNA, but these are the same and main building blocks that are found across all life forms. We all have the same proteins. It's kind of crazy that like four proteins can make such a variety of different life forms. Right. She also identified and characterized histones, which Emily mentioned she didn't know before. Teach me, Kelly. Which are the proteins that help control the folding of DNA and like the helixing shape. Okay. And she she identified and characterized them by developing new methods for the fractionization of the nuclear material by, and then that made her be able to identify its contents. Try saying fractionization when you're drunk. Anyways. Fraternization. That's a different thing. Fractionation. Exactly. Frankenization. So basically her research solved the essential puzzle in understanding how cells determine which part of the genome to read. Like, when you're a baby and you have the, your mother and your father's parts of the genome and your your DNA is creating itself, it's like, hmm, I'm going to take that protein. That's what she discovered. So James Watson, who um, was the guy who was the one that dis- that took the Nobel Prize for discovering the double helix structure of DNA, which... Honestly, that's a whole nother thing. Rosalind Franklin, that's a whole nother thing. We covered her in a different episode. He actually did, even though he didn't credit Rosalind Franklin, he did cite one of Marie's papers on the ribo... Oh, my God. Ribonucleic acid? Ribonucleic proteins. Damn. I was almost smart. And the protein synthesis and how her discovering the different proteins that make up DNA did help his work. Okay. So he didn't necessarily name her by name, but he was like, well, there was this one paper written by this one person that, you know, kind of helped me. It's like, it's like when I'm telling a story, well, I read this thing by this chick and yeah, she exactly. said something along the lines of this. Exactly. <laughs> um, so her discoveries about nucleic acids and the different type of histones are now considered fundamental in both cell biology and genomics. Yet we've never heard of her. Nope. And she's not in the textbooks. Makes me mad. I feel like the textbooks should just have her picture on it. Right? So she, she, as much as like female scientists of the time were not well liked, she did actually recall her experience at the Rockefeller Center like 
lab as awesome and inspiring, both because of the excitement of the science she was doing and the legendary scientist she got to meet there. I hope that was a direct quote. Awesome. Awesome. It was awesome, dude. I got to like look at so much DNA. I got to look at so many things through a microscope. And no one, no one once put like paint on it. So I got a black eye. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. That took me a second where I was like, wait, are you saying no one hit her? (laughs) You were like, no, nope, I know what you're talking about. Where they put the ink on it. So many ribonucleic proteins. It was like crazy. And the guys were like, you go, Marie. And then they They were like, thank you for not putting a penis in my lab coat. (laughs) Remember that? That was, that's a deep cut. That's old. Uh, That's from like, and then like the the original hundred episodes. And then the guys would be like, "Mm, duh, Mm, 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 duh, go, whoa, whoa, mm, duh. (laughs) I think Emily might be drunk too. You know what? It's fine. So Marie would go on to move to Columbia University, which is even more prestigious, where she would carry out what is today known as her most famous work. She would go on to find the link between cholesterol in the diet and clogged arteries. Oh, shit. Yeah, like that's huge. Even today, that is huge. Okay, but okay, every every middle-aged man, though, who's getting bitched at by their partner and their doctor about the cholesterol is like, man, if Marie just hadn't figured that shit out, I could be coasting right, right and now. And their wife's like, mm, duh, mm, duh, mm, duh. <laughs> Don't eat that bacon. Mm, duh, mm, duh. Don't do it. <laughs> Damn it. Anyways. We're trapped. Um, we're trapped in this horrible the, bit now. It's great. This though. is a horrible bit and we're stuck I'm with it. I'm drunk enough that I love it. Uh, all right. Anyway, so she established also that high blood pressure was a precursor to atherosclerosis, which I should have looked up what that means. Atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis. Me. Two seconds. It's Is it arterial? So it's like something with your arteries and it something is. with them sclerosizing. So it is the buildup of fats and cholesterol uh, and other substances on the artery walls. So basically it's what causes yeah, the, the clogs that cause heart attacks. Okay, that's a, that's a fancy name for your arteries got exactly. full of bullshit. So Marie and the doctor she was working with, whose name was Quinton, which I also love that name. I do love that name. Um, would continue to work on this cholesterol situation. And they would move from Columbia University to the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where Marie would also study creatine, which is an essential metabolite for many cells. Like basically that's what your cells use to do shit. Yes. Um, she taught, she would go on to teach biochemistry to a lot of generations of medical students. She taught for a long time and she'd become a professor at the Albert Einstein, um, college of medicine until 1986. Oh my. So she worked for a long time there. God. She was also a big proponent as uh as an investigator for the American Heart Association, which makes sense. Like she was doing a lot of work with the cholesterol. <gasps> Did you know that today, the day we're recording, this is like National Heart Disease Day? Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everyone's like wearing red and posting pictures of them wearing in red for heart disease awareness. Man. Which is one of the top killers of women. Like my uh, uterus was glowing for heart associations. Yeah. Oh my God. That's wild. That's, that's 
The universe demanded the universe. this. It the did. universe demanded this. The universe might be a little upset. I'm I'm drunk and probably not doing Marie justice. But you know what? But, it's you know. red wine, which is good for your heart. So it's fine. <laughs> so in 1975, Marie was one of 30, one of 30. So minority women scientists who would go on to attend a concert, a conference concert. The concert would be so much more fun. Okay. We're starting over. <laughs> we're not starting this no, whole thing over. We're starting over from the sentence. So 28 minutes, Emily. I'm not cutting this. <laughs> I'm not cutting this. Fine. In 1975, Marie was one of 30 minority women scientists to attend a conference examining the challenges facing minority women in the STEM fields. Okay. So she was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to talk with these other women about why women aren't in, what is it? Science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't remember technology for some reason, even though I literally did a presentation on that last semester. STEM was a huge part of the like now it's the daycare steam. curriculum. It is actually they added art. Okay. Can, can I just say something? I'm Please not say. trying to take credit for this, but I remember being at the daycare and STEM was a really big deal. And someone's like, well, what about art? And I'm like, oh yeah, it could be steam. And she's like, well, I don't know. Like, where's the echo? I was like, it's it's steam. That's a different word. And like, I kept saying it and no one seemed to acknowledge it. I'm like, am I? Okay, either I'm really stupid and everyone's politely ignoring me or no one hears me and I don't exist. And now that steam is a thing, I'm like, yeah, come on. So thank you. Right. No, that is actually a thing. Like, it's like a half and half. Some people yeah. are still STEM. Some people are STEAM. I think STEAM is a better thing because the arts are really important. Yeah. I mean, I understand it being like, oh, this is a very specific Right. It's science. Realm it's, of it's, learning. It's very, like, factual based, whereas, like, yeah. art is like, mm, that's more creative. Anyways, so... She went to this conference and it was held by the American Association for Advanced Science. And the result um, was a publication of a report called The Double Bind, The Price of Being a Minority Woman in Science. Basically, it was this huge thing that was a bunch of recommendations for recruiting and ma- and retaining mi- minority women in sciences, which mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. This is still 1975. Like STEM is still a big thing today because there's still not enough women, particularly in the T of STEM. Technology yeah. is still severely lacking. The sciences have gotten a little bit better. But like women of color, and you know, it's it Ooh. compounds. Yep. So Maria would also go on to be a member of the Board of Governors of the New York Academy of Sciences for two years, as well as a fellow for the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the American Cancer Society. So basically, she's like getting out there. She's making sure that all of these different uh, boards of people are being fair, letting women in, letting people of color in, and all of this different stuff. She's kind of doing the oversight. Yes. So she was... 100% committed to helping increase the enrollment of minority students in both medical school and graduate school. Yeah. Um, so, um, in 1988, she would go on to establish a scholarship fund at Queens college where she went. Oh my God. um, I love that. In honor of her father, (gasps) which is adorable. 
I bet. I hope they had like a really good relationship. I bet they did. It sounds like they did. That's so sweet. Um, and she she established a scholarship ship specifically so that students of minority groups had the financial support to c- complete their study, which, which her father did not. I'm not crying. You're crying. That's right? so beautiful. And I'm dealing with it like a grown up. Her contributions laid the foundation for many key discoveries in genomics, medicine, chemistry, and beyond. And today we recognize her contributions have changed the world in chemistry and genomics in particular. She struggled to overcome poverty, both gender and racial bias, and shines as a beacon of hope for minorities all across the world. She died on October 28th, 2003. Oh, that's like we were alive in conscious oh, yeah, human beings. Oh, yeah, which is weird. Um, her legacy is that she has not only the scholarship she created, which is still going strong, there is now the Dr. Marie M. Daly Academy of Excellence in Queens. Um, and Einstein College has created an annual memorial lecture about her, or not about her, but for her, that is specifically for biomedical sciences and, like, minority scientists to come and present their projects every year. Yeah. So it's a short story. There's there wasn't a ton of information out there, but she did a lot. Well, and she paid it forward, which I really, yeah, re, which I really appreciate and respect. And I love I, like this. This could be because this could totally be a movie because like just the the um, dichotomy between her father and her and all that like is right. I mean, you can't write that when she was eighty two years old. She lived and a life. She lived a long life. And she, I mean, she was very active in making sure that other minorities, both men and women, mm-hmm. were active in the sciences. Well, and, and trying got to enrolled in college. And like, yeah, she was like, fuck the glass ceiling. Fuck all these barriers. Let people research what they want to research. That's awesome. Like, I helped discover DNA, bitches. Listen to me. Yeah. Like, mm, you kind of have mm, to because I kind of mm, know. Da, I know mm, what makes da, you. Mm, <laughs> well, well. I know what makes you and I know how to break you. Fuck you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I and like. Like Rosalind Franklin, she's gotten a lot more recognition, especially amongst like the women's history circle and all of that. And I'm not not criticizing that, but it's like, oh, she's another woman in the story of us figuring out what the fuck is up with DNA. So I will say she got her name because she did get married at one point. (laughs) It just Um, wasn't no, like literally, like even like. Wikipedia didn't have like when the exact date when she got married because I was like, oh, I'll like put it put it in in the relevant context of the rest of the story, but I literally could not find it. All that it like talked about was that her name went from Marie Maynard Daly to Marie Maynard Daly Clark, and that her husband died before she did, and they did not have any children. I'm like, that's useful, but oh I I God. did I did put it at the end yeah. just to be like. You know, she did have a husband that supported her and was around. Good role model. Exactly. Good role model. You know, let your wives do what they want to do. Yeah. Guys. Let, su- support them in their academic pursuits and being badasses. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, Marie. 
You go, Marie. Come, Marie. Hey, guys. We know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Anyways, who are you covering? Um, now that we're done, with, mm-hmm, done. <laughs> we're going to find something I'm sure just as frustrating catchy. and catchy in this story. So today I am whining about... Georgia Ann Robinson. Ooh, I like Georgia. That's a nice name. I do. I do like that name. I'm a little disappointed. Her her husband, uh, who I do name in this, does not have a state name. Um, I would love that if it was like she's Georgia. He's like Tennessee or something. Yeah, and then they have just a bunch of little states. That would be fantastic. <laughs> they they have them. They they have like triplets, and they're all in one bassinet, and they're just called the territories. Yes. <laughs> The Tri-Counties. The Tri-County area. God damn it. Okay. So, Georgia Ann Robinson was born on May 12th, 1879 in Opelousas. We're going going back. We're going back. Backing up. Uh, In Opelousas, Louisiana. I like that you pronounced it different both times. Yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to try again. Opelousas. Opelousas, Louisiana. There's no way I'm ever going to say it right, so die mad about it. I love it. Details of her early life are pretty sparse. So here's what we know. We know that her older sister raised her after their mother died until she was sent to a convent school after her sister could no longer support her because children raising children is difficult. It's terrible. Uh, Before she finally moved to Kansas at 18 years old where she found work as a governess, which is like a nanny. So you know she's a bad bitch. Fuck yeah. Because dealing with kids is the hardest shit you will ever do. Well, the governess is like an extra step. It's it's similar to like an au pair, like, except usually governors, I think they also like were in charge of like schooling the children. Yeah, they're, they they kind of do they it did all. Everything. They do it yeah. all. Uh, she also got a nursing degree at some point, which is not stated, but implied later. So I just assume she got a nursing degree at some point. The timing of this story and like certain events is not super accurate because I had a hard time nailing it down. So if you know better and you're like, she did this at this time, it's fine. It's fine. We're all doing our best here. So in Kansas, she met and married Morgan Robinson two weeks after they met. (laughs) 
Would not advise. Apparently, they had like a pretty cool marriage, though. Would not advise. Would not advise. Maybe don't. Speak to your partner first. Maybe, yeah, maybe date for more than two weeks before you put a ring on it. Yeah. Just saying, you know. Would recommend. Get in a fight first. I don't know. Maybe maybe more than one. Yeah, just... You feel it Not out. Not like fist fight. No, like no, no. Arguments. Arguments. Um, it's fine. Yeah. So anyway, it worked out for her and the couple would have one daughter, Marianne. Love that name. Aww. However, Georgia had a habit of bringing women and children in need home and feeding them dinner. So she's like, she's like going around. She's like, she's oh, you need some sh- food? Come home with me. Yeah. Which like normally do not go with the strange woman who's offering you food and shelter. Unless it's Georgia Ann Robinson, apparently. So throughout her life, Georgia was an activist. After the couple moved to Leadville, Colorado, which rings up memories of Molly Brown, uh, where her husband worked as a banker, Georgia became active in the suffragist movement. Later, they moved to Los Angeles, California, where she continued her activism, becoming the first treasurer of the local NAACP chapter, helped found the Sojourner Truth Home, wow, and create a community for black women in L.A. And then in her free time, she volunteered at the local women's shelter. And you know, with whatever free time she had. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's not like a mother and doesn't have anything else going on. It's fine. So now around this time, World War One was in full swing, leading to a severe shortage of men at home to do jobs that only they had been allowed to do because about 50% of the population was severely excluded from a lot of these jobs. And like it would later in World War II, this led to many businesses and industries turning to women to supplement the worker shortage. This included the Los Angeles Police Department. In 1916, Georgia was recruited by the LAPD as a volunteer police matron, which she did for three years. So on top of all this like other shit that she's involved in, and again, I'm not saying she was doing all this at the exact same time or before she was a police matron, during or after, because it was hard to nail that down. But she busy. She busy. She busy. She doing it. And then she's volunteering for three years as a police matron for the LAPD. She's like, you know, I got this little bit of free time. Let me me just do this. I got like 10 minutes. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So while Georgia was volunteering, the members of the NAACP Women's Club were advocating for more black women to be hired by the LAPD. So police officers at the time at the time and you know perhaps now were predominantly white men and the LAPD in particular was incredibly corrupt and racist and actually they have maintained that reputation for quite a while uh this put black women in an especially vulnerable position to be victimized based on their race and gender by people who had the authority to get away with it this was compounded by harmful stereotypes that black women were more sexual therefore any sexual violence that was committed against them was deserved or Jesus. not real it's like no no, no. she like wanted we that or, about this so yeah like black women were overly sexualized yes. and they used that as a excuse yeah it was a it was another it was like the victim blaming slut shaming on so gross on racial lines so there was a lot of there were a, there was a lot of racism there were a lot of systemic issues that were stacked up against black women who were either in the criminal justice system or need help from the criminal justice system. Like they can't even trust, like if something bad's happening to them, they can't trust the cops because they're like, well, 
this cop might victimize me then and I there's nothing I can do about it. So the hope was that hiring more black women as officers would help protect against white male violence and combat harmful stereotypes. It would also make black women feel more comfortable dealing with law enforcement because they could get help from someone they could identify with. Hmm. So let's play. You want to become a policewoman in the early 1900s? Let's see if you fit the bill, doll. First of all, you have to put up with men calling you doll and sweetheart and sweet cheeks. I couldn't think of another thing. Sweet cheeks. Sweet cheeks. I almost said cute cheeks, and I'm like, that's not a thing. Okay, so to become a policewoman, you had to be between 30 and 44 years old. Ding. Be married. I'm out. I'm in. Have a degree in education or nursing. Nope, I'm out. I'm out. Yep. No, I I only fit the age thing. Like, that's such a weird requirement. Like, nursing kind of makes sense. Education doesn't make as much sense to me. I think it's because that was primarily what women women could get right. education that, that's in. That's all they could really get. In education. Education and nursing. That's, that makes sense. That exactly. makes sense. Exactly. So, Georgia, a 36-year-old married woman with a degree in nursing. Again, that was the implied degree that I never read about anywhere else. Uh, who had the added bonus of three years experience as a volunteer police matron was perfect. So on June 10th, 1919, Georgia Robinson was sworn in as a policewoman, becoming the first black woman to join the LAPD and the first black policewoman in the whole goddamn nation. This also made her the fourth woman total on the LAPD. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So it was like three, three white women and then Georgia. So she got to work alongside with the first policewoman hired by the LAPD, Alice Stebbins-Wells, who we'll have to cover in the future, but I just want to give her a little shout out. So Georgia was assigned to work on cases involving children and black women, women, excuse me. However, she had a much different approach to her cases than the rest of the LAPD. When she came into contact with women and girls on the job, instead of arresting them, she would refer them to social services. This allowed them to get help that would improve their situations, keep them away from crime, and kept them out of the criminal justice system early on. Because we even see this today. There's a huge pattern of black people, particularly black men, getting involved with the criminal justice system early because they're targeted as black men. So they're more likely to be found at fault for something or, you know, get pulled over or this kind of thing. And so what she's trying to do is like, Hey, I'm not going to arrest you and give you a record, but like you should go and like get help like, or like better yourself. Let's fix this. Let's deal with this. You know, so Georgia also picked up her practice of bringing home women and children she encountered when they had nowhere else I to love go. that. I'm like, I'm like imagining her just like collecting people. She's like, hey, you look like you need a hot meal. You want to come and hang out at my house for a little bit? And it not being murdery. Right. Like <laughs> she, not what, being creepy yeah. or uncomfortable, but just being like, she I might genuinely want to help you. Only person in California who was inviting people to her house with pure intentions (laughs) because every time you hear that story it's never good so primarily working on juvenile cases georgia searched for and rescued kidnapped babies and girls who would otherwise be overlooked by the lapd because she's primarily working on cases of girls and women of color right though she was working as an official police officer for the lapd she didn't receive all the equipment her fellow officers did including a vehicle handcuffs or a gun 
This mm. did not stop her from fulfilling any of her duties, including arresting people and bringing them to jail when she needed to. It also didn't stop her from generally being a total badass. During her career, Georgia rescued two women who were injured in a car accident. She also administered first aid to a juror who collapsed in court. And when she wasn't working as an officer, Georgia kept her activism going. Of course. When her daughter was going to graduate high school, the graduation was racially segregated. Hmm, That sounds familiar. It's almost like we just talked about that. (laughs) so gross georgia led the charge against this and successfully desegregated the graduation she also worked to desegregate the venice beach and at the time black people were only allowed on one section of the beach called the ink spot that's disgusting that's fucking i literally just wrote gross after wow yeah that jesus fucking christ go georgia though yeah no she's like this is bullshit she's like excuse me no we're not doing this i demand we're not doing this so georgia's career as a police officer came to a sudden end in 1928 two uh women who were under the influence of alcohol were fighting in the city jail and and georgia stepped in to break them up Georgia didn't have much memory of what happened next, but her colleagues witnessed that one of the women grabbed Georgia and began smashing her head into the cell bars repeatedly. It was also reported that a key was shoved in Georgia's eyes. Jesus! So she was, she was physically assaulted while trying to break up this fight. Um, this resulted in a detached retina, uh, and she became blind in yeah. her left eye. Uh, oh, that's terrible. There were no surgical options for her at the time. No. Uh, but she went back to work anyway. She's like, that's okay. I can I can be down an eye. It's not a big deal. Uh, unfortunately, though, a few months later, she lost sight in her right eye as well. And doctors call this like a sympathetic shutting down. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if like there was just some latent damage that her eye couldn't sustain. I don't know. I don't know how sympathetic blindness happens or goes or if that's a thing. Um, but she she lost her sight completely and she did retire from law enforcement. That's so sad. Like, that's what she, like, loved to do. Well, and, and she was, what I really loved is she seemed to have this compassionate and thoughtful approach. It wasn't about abuse. It wasn't about punishment. It wasn't about, like you're fucking up my night. Like I'm trying to do my job and you're here fucking like, just go to jail. Like she, she saw the members of the community that she encountered as people and just work to help them, you know? And like, if someone did have to go to jail, she did it when she had no handcuffs. She was totally unarmed. She just did it by like force of will basically. Yeah. And just, I don't know. She seemed to have a very well-rounded approach to her work. Um, but we can take solace in this. When interviewed for Ebony Magazine, she said, quote, I have no regrets. I didn't need my eyes any longer. I had seen all there was to see. I'm crying, you're crying. So Georgia would stay in Los Angeles, continuing her advocacy work for the rest of her life until her death on September 21st, 1961, at the ripe old age of 82 years old. And this is normally where I have the legacy, but I couldn't find any statues, plaques, or other memorials to Georgia and her legacy of gender and racial barrier breaking in law enforcement, especially with the LAPD, who 
you know, does not have a great reputation. But I think it's time that she's recognized because her work is not only a testament to police reform, because that is what they were trying to do by like including more diverse people in law enforcement, but also to the importance of addressing the root causes of crime and intervention over punishment and aggression. Because it seemed that she she approached every person she encountered with some level of compassion and treated them like a person instead of a problem. And especially now, that is so important because it becomes very very easy to dehumanize the individuals who become victims of police brutality, racial profiling, all of that. Because, well, they shouldn't have done. No. Right. The police are supposed to be the ones who are the, who are better in that situation. Exactly. And they damn well need to be. Yeah. And Georgia was. Fuck yeah, she was. So yeah, that is the story of... Officer Georgia Ann Robinson, or as her coworkers called her, Robbie. Oh, Officer Robbie. I was going to say Georgie. No. Oh, that would be cute. Oh, that'd be too cute. No, I called her Robbie. That's cute too. But yeah, I don't know. She was, she was like a cop with compassion. Yeah. And she like, when she found people in need, she would bring them home and feed them and like, oh, it just makes me want to give her a hug. Yeah, but it, I I like I I think I think it's important just to view this as like um it's the full picture. You know, someone doesn't steal something, something someone doesn't commit a crime because they're just bad. It's because there's something going on there. There there's a whole other mess of factors involved in that. And if we treat people with compassion and care, and like actual people. Like, like they're human beings. Shocker. And, and if we can address the root causes that like got someone into a position or a negative position, then we can stop it from happening and escalating. And just, I don't know. Her humanity really, really struck me. Yeah. I, that did. It, it and, struck a chord in my heart. Well, and just, I know that the the topic of law enforcement especially the abuses against people of color. Um, it's a big topic. It's something that we are going to continue talking about, something yeah. we should not stop talking about. Mm-mm. But to see a woman of color in the early, mid-1900s as a police officer and, like, doing the thing that we want all police officers to do. It was so happy. It was really cool. I'm it was so a, glad you told this story. I thought it was, I thought it was a cool story to share. So, yeah. That's Georgia Ann Robinson. Let's get her a fucking statue or something. Fuck yeah. God. So Kelly, my darling, what are you thankful for? I have duh stuck in my head now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what am I thankful for? Hanson can't sue us. We were saying mm-da. Mm-da. Mm, bitches um what am i thankful for it's a big question it's a very philosophical question you're thankful for navi i am thankful for navi i i really am i'm thankful for animals and like pets in particular like such they're so good for our mental health but like i was feeling real shitty this morning i didn't sleep well last night and 
um, both Navi and Dory, like, I don't know, they have that, like, sixth sense where they were just like, I love you, Mom. And they were like, I, like, took a nap before I went to work today because I didn't have to go in until, like, noon. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they were both, like, leaning against me and, like, cuddling and, like, so, yeah, I do. I'm appreciative of pets and animals and their weird, innate sense when we need them. I do. Yeah, I love that. Actually, there have been there have been days where I'm like, I don't need a nap, but I really want to cuddle with my animals. Right, so I'm like taking it. <laughs> well, or even if you don't like sleep, you just kind of like yeah. lay there and just enjoy the presence of your animals. Arthur, Arthur as a cat, he's he's so broken because he spoons with me. Oh. Like he's very cuddly and affectionate. Normally cats are a little yeah. more aloof. No, he's like, I need he you, is. mom. He's very affectionate, but in like for a better good or for way. worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I am actually, I'm very thankful. This is going to sound kind of weird. I'm thankful for the city. Uh, this is kind of a small thing, but I have a single car driveway and with all the snow that we've gotten, the piles on either side of the driveway have just gotten higher and higher. And because it's all frozen and packed in, there's no way for me to deal with it. And so I got home from work one day and apparently the city had come down my street and like, bulldozed and like removed right. a bunch of those snow piles really? so it's actually easier to get into my driveway That's now so nice. and I'm like oh my god this is amazing like yeah. I need and they've never done that before so I don't know whose idea it was That's but thank so you cool. so much because the first the first winter I lived in my house I actually had to like get out of the car and then my partner at the time was driving and I had to like let them know when it was okay to back out because the piles of snow were so high that you right. couldn't see when you were pulling out of the driveway. Right. And you're like, I'm either going to get hit by a car or I'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> there is no try. There is either hit or not hit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a really nice thing and I was happy about it I wasn't expecting it but I'm very thankful because it makes my driveway and my sidewalk and my whole snow situation a lot more manageable well it's nice to have unexpected things to be thankful for yeah yeah and I mean on one part of my house there's an electrical pole and so the snow's all piled up around that and that's gone I was like oh my god this is fantastic because I was getting ready to like I was gonna bury that electrical pole man or I was just going to throw the snow in the street. I have nowhere else to like, put I it. I don't know what else I, to do. I don't know where else it's going to go. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was nice. We were, you know, people are not always happy with the services and the places they live. And it was kind of nice to have a, have a positive. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpad. Twitter at WH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our merch and our Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 to get some extra sweet ass content. $1. Please rate us five stars wherever you listen and leave us a review if you're able to do that. And we know you are. Well, unless you listen on Spotify, then you're only allowed to get five stars. What? What? You can't write a review on Spotify. You can, oh. only, you can only give star ratings. Well, leave a review. Review however the platform allows you. <laughs> God. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.